0: You are listening to the voice of Ahlus sunnah wal Jamaah.
1: Oh Allah, open for me my chest and loosen the knot from my tongue that they may understand my speech. Well, there's it. That's the weekend over. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I hope the week has treated you well and that you're looking forward to a peaceful, uh, friendly weekend with your family and friends. And that everything is treating you well. If not, may Allah have mercy and uh, straighten the way for you. Well, um, a bit of a topsy-turvy week, wasn't it? The Rand uh, continued uh, like a champion. Uh, we've, it's almost like having a stranger in the room, isn't it? Mm, the Rand is suddenly like this champion currency against anything. It comes in its way. It's been knocking them down like um, um, pins in a bowling alley. Um uh, Finishing the week just slightly above uh, fourteen to the dollar, and uh, UK pound has uh, entered its tenth week of negative declines. Well, in negative decline would mean it's going upward, I suppose, of uh, of declines. Um, apparently, over Brexit fears, but I wonder if it's not a matter of um, traders taking the foot off the pedal and uh, allowing the, the 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 pound to be watered down. In, in a bit to try and boost exports i 'm um, a big opponent of uh, weakening your currency to boost exports uh, you know they they come out with this mantra in South Africa and uh, you know uh, rags like business day for instance. Um, you know uh, Business day has been uh, playing uh, the uh, weak rand pipes for For how long? Um, When they started playing the weak Rand pipes, the Rand was around about uh, four to the dollar. Now we're, uh, you know, we pass 15, 16, 17 to the dollar, and we keep on being told that no, you know, a weak Rand is good for exports. Mm. You know, a forever weakening Rand is very bad for South Africans. A forever weakening Rand is very bad for South Africans. I mean, uh, how much weaker does the Rand need to go before people are going to say, actually, no, this is not even a currency anymore. It's just a, a piece of paper um, that means nothing. Um, weakening uh, your currency to boost exports is only a temporary, has only a temporary benefit. Uh, it should be an emergency measure. It should be recognized that, that it is an emergency measure. It should be recognized that this isn't part of normal behavior. Um, uh, because, you see, you, your, your your exports can only get a certain boost. And that boost only comes from a comparison to where the currency used to be. But if you continually weaken your currency, weaken your currency, weaken your currency, weaken your currency, then you're only weakening your economy. Um, you're, giving, you're giving bailouts to certain kinds of exporters, uh, and you're not really doing the manufacturing sector all that much good anyway, because uh, around about 70% of all manufactured goods in South Africa are sold in South Africa. And uh, despite this kind of like weakening RAND trajectory that we've been on now since about um, when, uh, when, around uh, about, I'd say, uh, um, round about 19, 1998, 1997, we've been on a significant RAND weakening trajectory. And uh, what has it done for exports? 70% of all the manufactured goods are still sold in South Africa. It hasn't boosted our exports in any way. It may have boosted the profits of some mining companies and some uh, given bonuses to some mining directors, as well as given like fat holidays to some uh, currency traders. But a weakening rand policy has done nothing for the economy other than turn us into beggars. You cannot, continue, you cannot maintain a weakening rand policy What since 1997. It's huh? now that's like twenty two years. No, I'm sorry. And let's have a look at what is done for exports. Absolutely zilch. Nothing. Nada. It is only a temporary uh, band aid. Uh and is an emergency measure. It should be recognized as such. And uh and uh, once your emergency period has passed, there need to be like um um benchmarks set. You know, once we read this stage then we will uh, return to a normal uh, currency trajectory. Um, um, but, uh, well, you know, that's not the kind of mantra that comes out of the fanatical pages of business day. Uh, you know, you just stick to the mantra and you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it and they make you an editor. It's nice. Mm. Okay, so, yeah, all right, let's go to the tail of the tape. Uh, in as much as we always say, uh, the JSE is a measure of uh, the South African economy. It's more like the measure of the Camps Bay and Santon economies uh, rather than the South African economy. Uh, but anyway, a uh, slight recovery in the uh, on the, on the JSE's tickers today. The All share index up uh, to up 0.01%. It's almost flat. In fact, the uh, top 40 index is completely flat. Uh, We ended up where we were yesterday with the top 40, 51,189.53. And only point oh one percent down over yesterday, so that's kind of like you know everyone kind of like sat in their hands the whole day. We retraced some gains, only slightly though. Uh, I mean the rand is uh, at the beginning of the show. I said the rand's on fourteen to the dollar, one's not on thirteen ninety nine, seventeen fifty seven to the pound, and uh, fifteen seventy five to the euro. Gold is on a thousand four hundred eight dollars eighty. And uh, the Brent crude oil price is $66.64. Well, uh, biggest losers on the JSE today. Uh, biggest winners, rather. I don't know why I keep on saying biggest losers when I'm meaning biggest winners. Uh, biggest winners on the JSE today. it Tire leading lead in the pack, followed by Barla World, um, Mondi, uh, Mondi uh, PLC. That's uh, the London-listed uh, Mondi. And Mondi Limited, uh, that's South Africa, the, the the packaging and paper producer. Vivo, uh, it's uh, always up and down, isn't it? Isn't it strange how Vivo is such an active little share? Hmm. Isn't it something you know, you're, anyway. Uh, biggest losers today, I saw, uh down 4.93. Infrop, uh, Goldfields, Implats, and Sappy. Uh, moving uh, for a little bit of a more in-depth kind of market report. Uh, but before we go into that, got any ideas how to spend, uh, also coming up in the show, got any ideas how to spend uh, 230 billion rands? If so, ESCOM would like to hear from you. It's uh, sending out uh, requests for proposals um, to the banking sector, saying, "Well, government's uh, bailing us out with 230 billion rands, uh, and we don't really trust our own judgment in what to do with it. Uh, we'd like banks to come along and tell us, maybe give us some advice." Uh, nice to see that that's that, that's that's actually happening. Hopefully, it won't be Rothschilds that's going to be leading the pack in terms of giving that advice. Oil heads for the biggest weekly gain, topping $66. Guere Mantashi determined to bring back nuclear energy to South Africa. Tito hands out the goodies to ESCOM and SAA. The British pound the heads for a tenth week of losses over Brexit fears. Hmm. Apparently, Uh, job losses uh, are a major threat to economic and social stability. This is after ISIL uh, announced yesterday that they're looking at retrenching 2,000 workers. Steel sector uh, has been warning uh, the government uh, that, you know, there's some kind of assistance, some kind of intervention is going to be needed if there's not going to be a bloodbath. Uh, we hear that uh, Edgar is, uh, Edcon uh, has got 140,000 jobs on the line. Uh, PIC trying to make up its mind as to whether or not it's going to bail it out. The trade unions in um, a kind of, a you could say an atypical, but for me it's a rather typical um, uh, f- flush of uh, crony capitalism. Uh, saying there's going to be all kinds of war if the PIC doesn't bail out um, a capitalist entity. Uh, and so anyway, uh, job losses could turn into major social dislocation and political tension if they do happen in the second half. However, we have been hearing signs in the last week that the second half could, uh, could turn around and rebound. Um, as the trade war continues between China and the United States, a cold war, as we said yesterday, uh, they're still in talks about talks. They're not actually like actually firing anything at each other. They're just kind of like looking at each other, like you know, across the Pacific Ocean, and saying, mm, "We've got plans for you." So, um, you know, uh, probably resolution in that kind of thing, if it does actually happen, uh, probably only going to be happening next year or even maybe the year after that. Uh, There's 1,500 objections, uh, Chinese objections that the U.S. White House has to work, work itself through. Um, and that's likely to stall unless, of course, China just lifts them all and says, no, we are just joking. Why don't we get you back to the negotiating table with a serious look on your face and a serious sense of respect for the person on the other side of the table, something the United States really could do with. Um, So uh, Steinhoff posts uh, an $8.9 loss, uh, that's Rand loss for the half year, and Joburg is put on a negative outlook over electricity payments. And if I have time, I would really like to um, read you something about a a one a a family and uh, how they've kept it, uh, how they've kept their money together, and how they keep it all in the family. And so it's not often you get this kind of glimpse into the one percenters, you know, it's, it's it's quite a candid uh, kind of interview. Uh, hopefully we'll have time for that. Uh, you know, I'm always going on about uh, family values and the need to build family business. Uh, if you want to hold on to your money, you do it with family. Uh, if you want to be one of the 99 percent, if you want to be one of the, uh, you know, the chaff of society, if you want to be on your own. If you want to be fighting against trying to outwit an army of uh, banking economists who are determined to get the money out of your pocket, if you reckon you can do that on your own, well, go it on your own. You know, uh, you'll probably have some really interesting days in your life. Uh, but if you want uh, slow and steady, uh, not something that is built on personal pride, well, then uh, go for family business. Build it. Keep it in your family. Um, so yeah, we'll be having a look at that if we have time uh, a little bit later in the show. Of course, after this, uh, there's legal affairs with your host, Alameen Templeton. Oh, there, that's me. Yeah, well, you've got a double header this evening, a double dawny, as we used to call it at Rose University when I studied journalism. But boy, I really learned the meaning of double dawnies when I went and studied uh, law at uh, Witz Law School. Mm. Three, three double dawnies every week, you know, uh, Quarter to 8 in the morning, you've got a double period, double lecture. You know, it goes on for 19 minutes, and you step out of that. And, and, and you know, you actually have to prepare for your lectures. Uh, law, law lecturers actually uh, expect you to arrive prepared. So, um, oh, yeah, those are very interesting days. I uh, love my law studies. really was a very um, yeah, intriguing part of my life. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, looking at the JSC, it was flat today, but ended the week down on 0.54%. I think it's the third week in a row that we've ended weaker. Uh, but uh, that's despite a rally by the Rand after dovish, as they call it, commentary by the U.S. Fed. Uh, losses by NASPASS, offset gains by diversified miners, with the latter benefiting from higher oil prices. Um, The RAND had its best week against the dollar in three weeks, gaining 1.26% by the JSE's close as emerging market currencies were supported by expectations of a drop in U.S. interest rates. This has helped entrench market expectations. That our own beloved uh, Reserve Bank will cut rates next week. Most people are saying by a 0.25%. Uh, others are saying, well, you know, we could see 0.5%, but uh, they're in a the distinct minority. Marks are now pricing in a 17.5% chance of the U.S. Fed cutting interest rates by 50 basis points at the July 31 meeting and 82.5% of the market expected to be cut by 0.25% uh, percent or 25 basis points. Uh, of course, we'll be hearing on Thursday next week whether um, the Reserve Bank Monetary Policy Committee has decided that we are we do actually deserve an interest rate cut. Taking us back to where we were last year, in actual fact, we, we actually do deserve Uh, 50-point basis cut, uh, basis point cut. We actually do deserve that because that interest rate increase last year was just as we went into an official recession of the two um, quarters of negative growth. So you're going into negative growth and the Reserve Bank increases interest rates because the oil price is rising. (laughs) Like interest rates are going to bring down the oil price. Yeah, sure. It doesn't happen. Uh, It's only in cloud uh, fairyland, you know. Look... You know, they, 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 that's actually why they build the Reserve Bank Tower of Fear so tall. They make it out with black marble, you know, sort of like a Waffen-SS uh, commander overlooking Pretoria. They make it so tall so that it's able to reach those rarefied atmos- parts of the atmosphere where fairy dust and wishes do come true. Yeah, so that was why they uh, increased uh, interest rates uh, last year in December, just after we'd gone into recession. It was because they'd been uh, breathing too much fairy dust. The Monetary Policy Committee meeting, they clicked their little red shoes together and they whisked really hard and they raised the interest rate by 0.25%. So. you know, when we were, when they actually should have been cutting rates, uh, so this is why I say I reckon they need to cut it by more than 0.25%. We deserve a 50% uh, basis point uh, cut. We need to go down to 6.25, not 6.5. We're currently on 6.75. And, of course, the United States is on 2.75. My argument on the show all the time is that, uh, you know, We've got this Reserve Bank there, and another reason why they make the Reserve Bank building, the Tower of Fear, so tall and easy to spot, is because they want to give you a feeling that uh, that the building is like is populated by tens of thousands of like really very clever people who keep keeping a very close eye on the economy. But in actual fact, it's um, there's about ten people on the ground floor, and you get into these funny, hermetically sealed kind of um, uh, that's it's a very strange feeling walking into the Reserve Bank, um, and uh, you get into these lifts and they take you all the way up to the top floor. And it's the only visit I've been. I well, two visits. I've been down to the basement, and I've been right up to the top floor of the Reserve Bank. Um, I think that's a sign of good journalism. Um, uh, there was once, uh, you know, they 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 had some oh, it was the banking charter. They were releasing the banking charter. That was when I was down in the basement. And uh, I was up on the top floor um, when I wanted to write a story about how Tito Mboweni was paying off um, uh, apartheid's uh, death squad slush fund. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's what Tito Mboweni did while he was a Reserve Bank Governor. That's why he's such a trusted part of uh, the mainstream nowadays. You see, you know, he's he's come from a socialist background. He was the Labour Minister. They made him a Reserve Bank governor, and he said, okay, I'll keep my mouth shut, and I'm going to pay off uh, all of apartheid's murder, dirty tricks, sanctions, busting, you know, assassinations all over the world. Uh, Yes, oh, this is their slush fund. Oh, really? Oh, that's very nice, you know. Um, You know, uh, there's so much I could tell you about this story, and maybe I will one day. Um, But anyway, uh, because of my privy little... Uh, my, my my strange little brain, I kind of was able to come to the conclusion that the net open forward position on the Reserve Bank's uh, books, which then was standing around about $25 billion, um, thanks to Chris Um Chris Stolz had no- knocked up those losses in order to give those losses to cooperative banks that had uh, cooperated with the Reserve Bank uh, during apartheid. Um, I see, the Reserve Bank would call up cooperative banks and, well, they're not like cooperative banks, you know, like, yeah, with the farmers and so on. No, no, banks who are willing to turn a blind eye to murder, uh, you know, probably HSBC, you know, is probably one of the most murderous banks in the world. Um, yeah, no, 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 yeah, no, I don't have to worry suing uh, them, coming to sue me for saying something like that, because it's true. <laughs> you can point to so many stories, It's it's in fact quite horrifying. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So you know, they they they'd find these banks. that didn't mind um, paying for apartheid murder uh, and uh, sanctions busting against their own uh, local laws. And that's amazing. Our banks are quite willing to ignore the laws that are supposed to regulate banking. Uh, and uh, and and basically, they said, look, you know what? Um, take some losses uh, on uh, four trades on on the rand in the futures market. Uh, and then we'll pay you back in in spades. And basically that's what uh, Chris Stoltz did around about 90, I think it was, it was 96, 97. Over a year, over a year, the good doctor oversaw losses uh, and monthly losses, steadfast, unrestrained losses, uh, completely incomprehensible if you, like, really thought that the Reserve Bank was engaging in, like, legitimate activity. But if you kind of, like, said to yourself, is this the Reserve Bank paying off apartheid slush fund? Then it, it, it all made sense. It was the only thing that made sense, you know, and um, had a whole lot of other information, including like from the Harms Commission. I don't know if anyone's old enough out there who remembers the Harms Commission. That was uh, apartheid's attempt to put a band-aid over claims that there were hit squads operating in South Africa on behalf of the apartheid government. Uh, they, they initially established uh, got this one judge um, Louis Harms, nice obedient little spineless guy. Uh, the, I think he's on, He's now uh, one of our um, Supreme Court of Appeal judges. But anyway, a good old spineless Louis Harms came out and said, "There's absolutely no go, no evidence of any of any death court here in South Africa. No, no, it's a lot of nonsense." Um, uh, that's despite uh, slung von sale and uh, the, I don't know who the other operative was testifying before him that they would go to, this was one thing that caught my eye, you see, they would go to the Reserve Bank and they would be given money. They'd just be given their handfuls of money. Um, but, of course, that wasn't the kind of way that the uh, Reserve Bank, you know, with, with full of accountants and so on. I um, wanted to hand out money, you know, kind of like going in the dark of the night at the meeting at the front door. Maybe it was the back door and kind of like, handing a whole lot of money over to the very sinister-looking guys, you know, smelling of human blood, uh, and those guys who go away again. Accountants don't like that kind of thing, you know. They like to uh, sit under a very big, thick umbrella on a beach deep in the shade and uh, and to kind of like wonder if uh, they're going to be bitten by a blue bottle if they put their toe into the water. Uh, so, yeah, you know, So they, they don't like meeting uh, killers on the, in the back door of the Reserve Bank building. This is the way Chris Stolls, uh, used to do business. So eventually uh they got uh, they got an accountant. What is his name? Uh, was it Stanley Crisley? Mm. It was either Chrisley or Stanley. He was one of the uh, special forces accountants that used to, like, you know, try and keep track of the money for apartheid, you know, in the in the defense department. He was then seconded across to the Reserve Bank to kind of, like, keep track of all these dirty monies. And uh, eventually then he was seconded over to an agricultural bank that was, like, focused on the agricultural sector loans to the farming community, which was called Pretoria Bank. And uh, through Pretoria Bank, all of the all of the hit squads' uh, front companies uh, kept their accounts there, and then uh, the Reserve Bank uh, would uh, would transfer money over to Pretoria Bank, and Pretoria Bank would put the money into the accounts. So that was all nice and tidy, you know, that's the way accountants like to do things. Uh, But then the directors, uh, well, in actual fact, what happened was Pretoria Bank was taken over by Masterbond, which is a property investment company run by the Bruderbond, basically, with the approval of the Reserve Bank. Um, uh, Yeah, this is the way they used to do business during apartheid, you know, they go on about ANC corruption and so on. But, like, this is the way the Bruders used to do things. And uh, so all the front companies there, all the killers' front companies there in Pretoria Bank and getting the money nicely handed over. There's not that that kind of like putting money to like a big killer who blocks out the moonlight, you know, kind of like wondering if you're handing it over to a werewolf or something. Uh, boy, I once bumped into Ferdy Barnard. Ooh, mm-hmm. very interesting. Right, anyway, you know, these are the days when I really actually did believe I was a journalist. Um, and... Uh, So Master Bond took over Pretoria Bank, because I've been told by the Reserve Bank, there's so many complaints from the public about the fact that you're acting as a de facto bank, you're taking deposits from the public, which is the main defining business of a bank, and we can't allow you to continue like this, so um, look, you know, go and take over Pretoria Bank, take over their banking license, and then you continue hunky-dory. And uh, so now while well, the reserve bond uh, well, bond directors come and sit on the, the Pretoria Bank board and then they discover no, they you know, we've got a whole lot of um, hired killers, um homicidal maniacs who've got accounts with us, uh, they uh, with the the heat squads of the the apartheid, you know, they sort of like it's all very top secret, you must keep it a secret. Yeah, so the the Reserve Bank. I mean, the uh, Master Bond directors were very impressed by this to discover that they've got um, you know hit squads, uh, you know, special forces guys um, coming in with their with their accounts there, and they're helping prop up apartheid in this way. Thought it was very nice, and then they decided to get together with these guys. Uh, with the debt, death squad guys and uh, to start giving them easy loans. They started giving them easy loans. And uh, they, wrapped, uh, they wrapped up, I think it was something like a 50 million rand's worth of loans, uh, bad loans that they are given to these, uh, these front companies and they're never going to pay them back. And as a result of that, the Pretoria Bank now started uh, going and getting into trouble. So now this is before Master Bond has managed to take over the banking license and... Uh, when uh, um, when it comes to take over the banking license, the Reserve Bank says to them, "You must not just take over the banking license; you've got to take over their debts." And the Marsonman says, "What? But uh, but these are the uh, these are the hit squad guys. Come on, man! You know that these are the hit squad guys. The CCB front companies, cause Civil Cooperation Bureau front companies, yeah, Pretoria Bank." You can't expect us to, uh, to, uh, to stand by these loans. You know that they're not going to pay it back. We can't, we can't take this hit. We, we, we're still busy trying to pay off interest with new deposits uh, in, our, in our property developments, and our property developments are still being developed. They haven't even started turning a profit yet. This is how they're making their money. It was, a, it was a Ponzi scheme, and it was supported by the Reserve Bank and Stolz and the Registrar of Banks. Uh, this is the way those dirty criminals used to do their business. Uh, and so I hope Chris Stoltz is listening to this or gets to hear about this. Uh, so Chris Stoltz then goes and lies to Parliament about uh, about Masterbond and so on. But anyway, when the Masterbond guys hear that they have to take a knock of 50 million, they send a fax through to Chris Stoltz at the Reserve Bank saying, listen, if you expect us to take this 50 million bucket, we're going to go public, go public about the CCB at Pretoria Bank. So the very next day, Christos pulls the plug, says, "No, I'm sorry. Uh, we cannot allow you to take over a banking license because you're too heavily invested in the property sector, and so you must close down business." So Mossabond was forced to close down business, taking more than 650 million rands with the pensioners' money with them. You know, I kind of like used to look at that as I used to fight that fight. Um, you know, to, uh, trying to shine a light on these things, I said to myself, "Well, you know." Uh, the, the, these pensioners are probably the guys that voted in apartheid in 1948, and now they've been eaten, cannibalised by their by their own national party. Uh, so anyway, so um, <clears throat> that was all how I got into discovering about the slush fund in, in the Reserve Bank, and uh, and so when they, when Tito uh, took over as Reserve Bank governor, I wanted to clear the decks. Say, look, this is what Christel's got up to. You can't blame Tietan Buenny for it. Of course, uh, they didn't want me to say anything about it because they're still busy paying off the slush fund and wanted to do so without being uh, interrupted. Uh, and foolishly, uh, in that meeting at the top of uh, the Reserve Bank, I agreed. Okay, fine. Okay, so it's the news. It's the ANC has taken over. I didn't make a big noise about it. But anyway, uh, these are the choices you make as a journalist especially when you're breathing fairy dust on the top floor of the Reserve Bank building. Uh, we're going to have to go for a quick commercial break, a bit of market news. Inshallah, we'll be back in just a minute.
0: You are listening to the voice of Ahlus sunnah wal al sahaba
1: salamu alaykum, welcome back. If you want to share your views with me and the, uh, the listeners, you can give us a call here in Linaysia on 010-00-11004. 10 one 11 4 or you can WhatsApp us a message on 84 3132 84 3132 So, do you have any ideas of how to spend the 230 billion rands? Hmm? Uh, you know, I, I, I could think of a few ideas on how to spend the 230 billion rands, but I don't think it would be the kind of advice that Eskom is looking for. Yeah, it's put out a request for information, an RFI, to financial service groups uh, asking for help to advise on the efficient and effective implementation of the government financial support package, package which uh, amounts to around about 230 billion Rand over three years. Uh, the request for information is generally the first phase of a tender process, followed by a request for proposal and a request for quotation. Um, Very often they they, they just do this thing for appearances and they've already made the decision as to who they want. Hopefully it's not going to be um, Rothschilds headed up by uh, Trevor Manuel, you know, with with his wife Maria Rothschilds Ramos uh, heading up the PIC. Uh, That's just like too much of a conflict of interest for me. And uh, according to Peter Moyo, Trevor Manuel doesn't give a damn about uh, conflicts of interest. He will, he will sit on three boards of three companies and he will still vote as a director on matters that that affect all three companies. That is a clear conflict of interest. There's no ways that uh, he should be, should be sitting there or be allowed. They should chase him out with whips. Our former Reserve Bank governor deserves a public whipping, in my opinion. Um, you know and uh, and and then we should take out his South African passport and uh, d- tell him to go back to europe uh but uh, anyway uh EScom has a debt burden of roughly four hundred and forty billion rands and doesn't make a profit from selling electricity to us, um, mainly because they've raised the prices so much it has become unaffordable, and so the market has decided just not to pay. That is essentially what has happened. That is the real story about South Africa's non-payment of electricity. I mean, uh, you know, we were coming out of apartheid and all of the uh, all of the boycotts. You know, that boycott um, tendency, that boycott culture was very strong. If the ANC came in, we had the cheapest electricity in the world. Now we have the most expensive electricity in the world, and it keeps going up. Um, you know, there, there, that is no way to encourage people to uh, to stop this kind of like culture of boycott. You raise your prices so they become unaffordable, that people can't afford them anyway. Of course they're not going to pay. And most especially if the culture of boycott is still strong and never faded away. So, uh, you know, um, only got themselves to blame. Only got themselves to blame. And the main reason why we embarked on this major, like, recapitalization drive wasn't because we weren't producing enough electricity. It was because the ANC and their mining partners had big ideas of building smelters for South Africa. And uh, as a result of this, also wanted to make big money out of closing down... um, Uh, decommissioning power plants and so a lot of money in that and a lot of money also of course in terms of building new huge big power plants that are going to be uh, defunct uh, even before they uh, become fully operational we heard the other day that the fourth uh, unit at mudipi had to join the national grid Um, and hopefully that is doing something to turn around our power problems uh, but most of our power problems are self-inflicted, and ESCOM has just kind of like dug itself into a hole. When it reached rock bottom, it took out explosives and really started getting deeper and deeper and deeper. In fact, uh, some people are saying now that it's too big to save. It's not that it's too big to fail. It's too big to save. Uh, the costs of saving it are, are, are simply too enormous, um, the 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 idiocy that has uh, characterized the senior management at ESCOM, uh, the fact that they have piled on, they need 16,000 workers and they've got 48,000 workers. So they need to get rid of 32,000 workers, and that, of course, is an intractable political problem that will probably never be surmounted, other than if ESCOM just kind of like dies completely, you know, and the workers just go home. Uh, but in terms of uh, politicians taking a political decision to shut it down, well, that remains to be seen. We were speaking yesterday about uh, the PIC being willing to uh, to become an active bondholder, you know, uh, swapping its bonds for equity to become an actual shareholder in ESCOM. This is ideas that have been floated around at the PIC. It gave a major lift to the JSE yesterday, although those, regains, those gains did fade towards the end of the day. Um, Because, you see, uh, it's a nice idea, but the the practical implications uh, just kind of like get in the way. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's the PIC making the decision or making the demand or the government making the demand. It's not like the ANC is going to be able to, like, sort of deflect attention away from it. The PIC says we're cutting 32,000 jobs at ESCON. That's you know it's it 's like hurling a hand grenade into into a pineapple store you 're going to get fruit salad definitely and uh yeah well i don 't know if a fruit salad is a proper analogy in the circumstance <laughs> but anyway yeah it's uh, you 're you're going to create a mess you 're going to create a mess, and this is the problem that Escom is facing so um, they now asking people to uh, come along and uh, advise them on how to spend their money um, uh, sure, that's going to be quite, uh, quite a ask. You're going to have to be very familiar with ESCOM if you're going to be able to do that. Uh, this uh, power utility was in February allocated 69 billion rand support package over three years. Uh, but total support packages is around about 230 billion rand. That's according to the Sule in the of the Nation address. Um Tito Mawaini, in his budget vote, uh, said he plans to introduce a special spending bill in Parliament later in July to help ESCOM. Uh, In its request for information, uh, ESCOM states that the preferred execution option on government support package has been announced. ESCOM and the government will have to expedite the implementation of the strategy. It says the finance institution will need to advise it on restructuring plans, provide guidance in talks with rating agencies and assisting plans for the possible debt transfer to the government. Only companies that are free from existing or political conflicts of interest and whose main business includes sovereign ratings, advisory, and debt management services will proceed to the second round. That probably cuts it down significantly. I'm probably not going to um, consider my application. I wonder if I should ask for them to send it back. Uh, no, I'm only joking. I didn't send one in. So oil, $66. Well, um, uh, despite initial resistance, it looks as though Donald Trump is starting to get his way. The um, United States, uh, we've said many times, needs to keep its so oil. The keeps need needs to keep the oil price above uh, sixty-six dollars, uh, sixty dollars a barrel. That's if its fracking uh, um, oil extraction um, uh, businesses in the United States that have basically made it oil independent. It uh, doesn't need to import oil anymore. is now exporting oil, uh, so you know while the rest or while OPEC agrees to output cuts, America like really pumps it up and goes and takes over all of the markets, uh, resulting in major friction with Russia. Uh, so where where all of this is going to go? Uh, well, America's got the oil price above sixty dollars a barrel. Um, it's fracking fraternity is starting to make a profit. If it is, it's fracking oil. that's getting on onto the international markets. I wonder how they're managing that one. Uh, but anyway, so U.S. crude inventories uh, fell to a low. Storm in the Gulf of Mexico also conspired to threaten the supply outlook. Oh, boy, you know, storms in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, back in 2006, 2007, when the, when the forward market was taking over the spot market, when the forward price was in actual becoming the spot price, Uh, thanks to Goldman Sachs and um, British Petroleum, we know it as BP. Um, When you needed sentiment to replace data uh, in terms of determining the price, uh, every time there was a storm in the Gulf of Mexico, the oil price would shoot through the roof. But you knew that it was all a scam. Well, 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 I thought I said I knew that it was all a scam because uh, you see the refineries. The Refineries would say, Well, you know, we've got uh, we've got a, a, a glut. Um no, no, the refineries would say we've got to shut down for um we've got to shut down for maintenance. Uh and then the oil price would go up. Now you see that doesn't make sense. Because you see if refineries aren't refining oil, then that means that uh, you're gonna get a build up in oil inventories. Refineries are making petrol. Hmm? The more petrol refineries make, the less um, oil there is in the inventory. Not so. That makes sense, doesn't it? You've got to use oil to refine to make petrol. So if your refineries are working, they're taking oil out of the inventories, and that should mean your inventory levels drop, and that should mean that the oil price... Uh, should rise but if, you're in, if your refinery is shut down that means that you get oil building up in your inventories and that means that the oil price should drop yes economics 101 yay so now why is the oil price going up when the refinery is shut down ah you see it was all a scam but anyway so now we've got uh, storms in the Gulf of Mexico uh, blowing up the oil price again so you know that uh, there's, there's fidgeting happening uh, with the oil price again um Tropical Storm Barry could hit the Louisiana coast on Saturday. But now the oil price is going up already. Yes, yeah, sure. Well, Who wants a bet old Barry is going to make a peaceful little dawdle um, away and never be heard of again? South Africa will get nuclear energy at a cost the country can afford, says Gredy Montashe, the man who likes to go into rural communities and trample over their rights on behalf of his mining buddies. Uh, The Minerals and Energy Minister says uh, in his budget vote in Parliament uh, yesterday, to say nuclear energy is too expensive is misleading, he said. I mean, people used to say that electricity, ESCOM electricity is too expensive and then we continue putting up the prices. So why should we do anything different with nuclear energy? No, actually, didn't say that. He said the approach to South Africa's energy sector should be one of balancing all the different sources together. He acknowledged that the Cuba nuclear power station near Cape Town is getting on in life. Government have a plan to extend its lifespan. Nuclear use goes well beyond the use of energy. Parts of it can also be used for cancer treatment, Montashi said. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> we've already got that. You know, we were actually speaking about it yesterday, weren't we? The Safari One reactor is still going, and, uh, and uh, it appears that the Nuclear Energy Corporation, despite all of Jeff Khadebe's attempts to shut it down, well, hopefully will continue continue operating. A very profitable little company it was until uh, Jeff Khadebe started uh, issuing certificates against of, of, of safety concerns. You know, the, this was another example of the ANC's sabotage in the country. Um, yeah, Jeff Kadebe is sending these uh, safety, uh, refusing to sign safety certificates for Safari One. And as a result of that, the Nuclear Energy Corporation was unable to conduct its businesses for months and months and months. And then Jeff Kadebe insisted that they fire the board because it, had, it wasn't making a profit. But, of course, the only reason the board wasn't making a profit was because Jeff Kadebe had shut it down and wasn't allowing it to do its business. Uh, so now it's nice to know that Gwede Mantashe, uh has discovered the, that uh, a nuclear can be used uh, to cure cancer t- for cancer treatment. He's of the opinion that South Africa should even look into establishing a state-owned pharmaceutical company. Uh, actually, we already have one. It's called the Nuclear Energy Corporation. Uh, he hasn't heard of the Nuclear Energy Corporation, but he did read something on Google last night before he fell asleep uh, that uh, can, that nuclear can be used for cancer treatment and in medicines. He still hasn't heard of the Nuclear Energy Corporation. Or or, or even worse than that, he thinks we haven't. He says, Kubrick is generating the most cost-effective energy in South Africa today. Nuclear is efficient. At the same time, we must talk of an energy mix for the country. Uh, yeah, you know. Future energy mix is going to be renewables and nuclear. Uh, the coal-fired power stations are probably going to fall into, are probably just going to become un- unusable. Uh, you know, that's, I've, I've spoken to engineers who work on a regular basis trying to fix the pipes. Pipes, trying to fix pipes that keep on bursting. Oh, boy, because no maintenance has been, been done. Madupi covered in ash from head to foot. Governance is another aspect he emphasized in his speech. He wants to improve governance so that South Africa's sector, energy sector can be strengthened. Mm. What does our government know about good governance? Go and ask a state capture inquiry. We must ensure stability and long-term it is very important to have good governance. Uh, so we don't have good governance right now while he is a minister. He wants to get his things done. And then when he's finished being a minister, we can start uh, trying to get good governance. Without good governance, we cannot do risk management, said Mantashe, who's obviously been reading. Um, he obviously went to a PowerPoint presentation somewhere along the line. For him, it's very important for South Africa to interact with the rest of Africa. Well, it's just a pity, Mantashe, that we continue burning Africans. We're not welcome in Africa. South Africans are not very popular north of the Limpopo. I know we like to tell ourselves that we're fantastic, but we are not welcome in other African countries north of the Limpopo. If you go overseas, you know, go on like one of those anonymous holidays, do not tell anyone you know, while you're on the beaches of Luanda that you come from South Africa. He emphasized that South Africa must be part of the Inga Hydroelectric Project in the DRC. Well, you know, they're on the side of America. as another captured uh, government there. So, you know, we, we, we might have plans, you know, gangsters from South Africa working with gangsters from the DRC. Our commitment to the Inga project is very important, he says. South Africa must be part of Inga and be part of finding solutions in terms of the project. Probably because... ESCOM is going to like, not be able to provide enough electricity for us. It's going to take a while to build a nuclear power plant. Our renewables aren't going to be enough. So we're going to have to start importing electricity from the DRC. He says we're going to explore a number of opportunities in Africa as we are part of this continent. Regarding the price of electricity, Matasha is of the view that something needs to be done. All right. Okay. To mitigate energy restriction, government is looking at the use of natural gas imported from Mozambique to have more economic options for South Africa. Also looking at shale gas and deep sea options. He said, uh, "Yeah, all of those are like ten, twenty years away, other than Mozambique." Last but not least, he said the department is making progress in achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Why didn't he go on about how uh, he's going to be shutting down rural communities uh, for his mining buddies? It seems to be that that's his principal uh, um, focus of business when he's not in Parliament. likes to go over the Olobeni uh, community and stomp on them. Um, yeah, well, that's Gwede Mantashe. All right, Minister of Finance, Tito Mboweni. Uh, says he plans to introduce a spe- special appropriation bill in Parliament on July 23 uh, to make funding available for ESCOM uh, and Boweni, tabling his budget vote in Parliament. His vote outlined a total allocation of 30 billion Rand for National, treasure, for, for national Treasury in 2019 20. Said this would use to conduct research on the economy and foster growth friendly policies. <clears throat> also wants to start a bank. Yes. The JSE um, – no, wait, no, no, no that's a long story. Sorry, I'm just going to move down here quickly. Ah, National Treasury has agreed to begin a process of developing a state-owned commercial bank. That's what Tito told Parliament last night. <clears throat> During the debate that followed his budget vote tabling, he said the Deputy Minister of Finance, David Masondo, was going to be put in charge of the process. Uh, him and uh, Masondo have colluded, concluded the allocation of responsibility between the two of them. One of the things uh, <coughs> Massondo is going to be doing is to start the process of formation of the state bank. He added the establishment of a state-owned bank was critical because South Africans have complained for years that established commercial banks have discriminated against them. Uh, I've got a funny feeling that this is going to have to do with you know banks refusing to buy ESCOM bonds. I mean, who can blame them? I wouldn't buy ESCOM bonds, would you? Uh, and no, no one else is buying ESCOM bonds. Only the PIC has bought ESCOM bonds, and uh, trade unions are saying they must get rid of those bonds. They're not supposed to be in the business of, um, of uh, holding up um, uh, delinquent companies. Probably the only way to describe ESCOM, a delinquent company. Uh, and they 're supposed to be trying to preserve uh, members uh, members' assets members pensions. So uh, I've got a feeling, uh, you know, the government could have done this long, long ago. And I would agree. I would agree. Uh, The banks, the banks have discriminated, and mostly they have discriminated against black people. And the ANC has sat by and done nothing about it. While, like, you know, um, super cool ANC guys like uh, Maria Ramos end up on the, um, (coughs) as chief executive of APSA, Mac Maharaj, director FNB, you know, I mean, uh, the white face of uh, South Africa's banking sector is very well spotted with with ANC politicians. So you know, ANC politicians have made a lack of profits uh, out of refusing to allow black people to get um, mortgages and so on. Um, uh, probably to the benefit of 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 those people, but nevertheless, because uh, I reckon like. Um, Uh, getting a a mortgage is, in many instances, moral suicide. You know, you're committing yourself to to 20 years of 95 work, of not taking any time off to attend to your family needs, your genuine family needs that need your attention, because you're just too busy. You're going to be too busy to live your life. So in many ways, they've done people favors by not not giving them access to a Uh, That may be a cruel way of looking at things. But really, you know, uh, suddenly uh, the ANC is developing a conscience regarding uh, banks refusing to give people loans when so many ANC politicians sit on the board of these banks. Now they're going to have to start a state bank. No, the real reason why they're starting a state bank is they're going to need a bank that's going to buy ESCOM's bonds. Where the bank is going to get its money from, I'm I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm sure they'll be able to find some way of going about it. I reckon quantitative easing, well, you know, there's all pros and cons. Quantitative easing does make sense, you know, while the mature economies continue bailing themselves out with easy money. Why the heck shouldn't we? We've got a reserve bank, we should do it ourselves. It's just that, well, you know, with a gang of gangsters in Parliament at the moment, uh, we don't know where that money's going to go. I'll, uh, remember VBS. But then again, you know the ANC is also is not just a political party. It is in actual fact a South African institution. It does have legitimacy that goes beyond uh, the daily issues, um, and you know, in as much as it's a, it's a bit like ESCOM, you know, it's a very very sick national asset. Is the ANC? Um, yeah, the, the 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 cold light of reality. Shining on those dreams from the 1980s and pre-1980s, oh boy, has been a very cruel mistress to, uh, to our future. It has not been a very cooperative midwife to the birth of a new South Africa. Uh, that's all we have time for, for today. Jazakumullah for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today is profitable. And above all, halal. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
0: Subhanallah, 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 Subhanallah. ji chal gaye hak so bahana la si allah ne kitayat kya kehla सुजहान अल्लाह 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 सुजहान so kufr ki zulmat gaur hui so reh mehfil di sur nur hui che mere hunda subah nalla che subah سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ جس دل میں ہوں پر تو کرسی ورش اس دل کی بلندی jis dil mein ho par to kursi ho aur sus dil ki bulandee sanleyla jis seene mein qur aa utra ho sus seene ki azmat kya kehlao subhanallah